checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. I'm Matt Zemick. He's Alex Blau. And uh, we're part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Catch all of the podcasts on this network at Red Circle, at Spotify, at Google, at Apple, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Florida Football Insiders with Jason Powers, Big 12 Breakdown with Tyler Jones, Big 10 Paradigm with Mark Rogers, Pigskin and Burnt Ends with Patrick Netherton down in the South. You know that uh, one's uh, my favorite. That is your favorite. The, the other podcasts that are part of this family, Yards and Stripes, looking in at the service academies, all the podcasts that are under the Gridiron, College Gridiron, Coast to Coast umbrella. Check the RSS feed at Red Circle. You can listen to them anywhere you get your podcasts. Just spread the word about all the college football podcasts from all the corners of the country, covering all the conferences, plus the academies, college football in your corner of the United States. So we're out here in the West on Get Off My Pylon. And Alex, two very consequential football games this past weekend in the headliner, UCLA. Really kicked Utah in the teeth. Uh, yeah, it was, ten, it was a ten-point game, but it really it felt a lot more decisive than that. And you know, I'm just struck, Alex, by how Chip Kelly he floundered at UCLA for several seasons, and he looked like a guy who just seemed a little bit spent. Didn't have the same energy and fire that he did at Oregon. Didn't have the same mastery of the craft. Wasn't tending to all the details of the program. And in terms of UCLA's season, like UCLA was lucky to beat South Alabama at home. Very fortunate to escape. South Alabama had a fourth and two late in the game, up up by two points. If South Alabama converts that fourth and two, UCLA loses a, an embarrassing game to a Sun Belt opponent, and the, the the Bruins are in ruins again. But UCLA escaped. South Alabama runs a, a stupid fake field goal instead of just trying to use its base offense, uh, gets out of that game. And then come October, uh, come the 30th of September against Washington, and then October for the really, really big game against Utah, man, this looks like 2011, 2012 Oregon. Vintage Chip Kelly. He's found his fastball. He's found the fountain of youth. This is this is this is what it used to be like for Chip Kelly at Oregon, Alex Blau. Yeah, it, it is, uh, and and what a shoot up for UCLA it's been from unranked to 18th, and now looking at 11th. Uh, you know, this game. You're right. You nailed something. It was an interesting point you brought up in the intro. You said, "Don't let the scoreboard confuse you." This felt like a dominant win by UCLA, and I feel like throughout the college football landscape, especially with some of these top ranked teams this week, last week, there's been a lot of games where the scoreboard uh, can convince you that it was a little more one-sided than it was, or, or that it was a little less one-sided than it was, excuse me. Um, this was one of those games. You're right. Chip Kelly, DTR, looks like he may secretly shoot up in the Heisman conversation. Uh, four touchdowns on one interception, almost 300 yards, dominant with his legs. Uh, and how about the other, the other ultimate running attack, Zach Charbonnet, almost 200 yards. Uh, and a touchdown against Utah. This was this was a dominant UCLA statement. The defense, which has really, really, I think, throughout the Chip Kelly campaign, 
been a, a piece of the team that's never gotten together. And, you know, now in the Pac-12, them and the USC Trojans are, are turnover machines. I believe, you know, USC may have ultimately more takeaways, but this UCLA team is causing and recovering fumbles like nobody's business. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot in this Chip Kelly team that is unfamiliar to UCLA fans, but is familiar to Chip Kelly because he's done it before. It may have been a decade ago, but he's done it before. So what, what do you think is the most impressive aspect of this UCLA performance? You could look at so many different angles, so many different sources. Pick, pick one, Alex. What, what do you think stood out the most? Because you and I, hey, we've watched UCLA over the years. This is traditionally a game the Bruins don't win. What made the difference? What is What has fundamentally changed about this specific UCLA team? I mean... I think it's got to be the offense. We saw a, a lot of big explosive plays for a chunk yardage. I'd say explosive plays of 40 more yards. Um, DTR looks like he has control of this offense. He looks like a, a Kyler Murray almost uh, running around back there. He's definitely, I think, arguably one of the biggest mobile threats in the college football landscape right now. Um, but also this running game that emerged. You know, it's hard to keep track of one running back let alone when the quarterback can run. And then you have to defend what's a very talented passer. Uh, this UCLA offense, similar to what he had in Marcus Marietta, um, it's, it's, it's working for him on all, all fronts right now. Okay, let's do a little uh, comparison and, and uh, evaluation here. Uh, no one can deny that Los Angeles has the best quarterback and the best offensive backfield in the Pac-12, but is it Caleb Williams or is it DTR? Is it in terms of an offensive backfield? Is it Caleb Williams and Travis Dye or is it DTR and Zach Charbonnet? Uh, how, I think you know, you how, do you throw, how do you stack them up? Matt, I think you can throw defense in that conversation too and say who's who's got the better defensive unit as of right now because they're both top tier in the Pac-12, especially. The, the parallels really are fascinating in terms of the two defenses, right? Because they're both bend, don't break. They're going to allow yards, but if they keep the opposition, you know, under 35 points with, with their offenses, like they're going to have the advantage. And if they get like even one uh, takeaway that produces points as UCLA did with that late fumble return, like that's, that's like finding a, a, a wad of $100 bills with no uh, identification, like they're yours. Um, so, you know, really. Matt, that's why I always tell people, you gotta start signing your hundred dollar bills. Leave a phone number if you can. <laughs> well, I mean, like if you don't have your state ID or your uh, driver's license, like finders keepers then, like that's, that, that's yeah. the beauty of finding money without identification. You're under no eth ethical obligation to turn it in. So that's that's where USC's uh, UCLA's defense is, and really USC was doing that earlier in the year when it was picking off four passes a game, uh, and that's yeah. why USC was able to beat Oregon State. All right, before we turn we'll, to we'll USC, get to them. yeah, we'll get to them. Yeah, before we get to USC and Washington State, uh, let's let's look at the Utah side of this UCLA Utah game. Man, this is not how it was supposed to go for the Utes in 2022. Um, they already have two losses. So they are absolutely done for the playoff. And they're now on the periphery of the Pac-12 race. They have to run the table, have to win the rest of their games, have to beat USC, have to win at Oregon, have to win at Washington State. That's not going to be easy. That's a night game. 
So, you know, where do you lay the blame most squarely and centrally for Utah not making the grade against UCLA and by extension in this season? You know, um, it's hard because individually, I feel like when you look at just asking people to do their jobs, uh, there's a lot that's going okay. You know, Tavion Thomas in the running game has looked great. Uh, Clark Phillips registered his fourth career pick six, you know, two, two in back-to-back games, which was uh, electric. Um, but still, outside of that pick six, what big highlight play can you take away from Utah when you watch this game? What play can you show me uh, when you say, yeah, they had complete control of what was happening on the field? And there's really no big, big, exciting, big highlight play. They're, besides that pick six, they're all for UCLA. Um, you know, we, we knew this defense was going to struggle against the run. We'd been seeing it a lot of the season, especially against mobile quarterbacks like Anthony Richardson at Florida, but DTR just took full advantage of them. And, uh, they, they couldn't stop any running, whether it was the quarterback, whether it was the running back, um, Utah was just, was just helpless. Yeah, to, to me, Alex, you know, weighing in here on, on Utah, I mean, Cam Rising's just not making the cut. He's not he's not making the grade. You know, he had a, a really great 2021 season, played magnificently in the Rose Bowl. And I know that, you know, hey, this is an important piece of the puzzle for Utah. Grant Keithy not being there at tight end. They, they ran their offense through him. They depended on Keithy so much for downfield pass plays and, and consistent production in the passing game without him like that that was a big piece of the puzzle but that said rising continues to throw crucial devastating interceptions in the opponent's third of the field did that early in the UCLA game and you know UCLA's first drive Bruins didn't score like the UCLA's offense got rolling in this game at a certain point and once it started to get rolling Utah couldn't stop it but first drive Utah got a stop and the Utes really should have been up seven nothing in that game, but that interception by Rising, uh, you know, prevented Utah from getting the early lead when it was actually carrying the play in, you know, in the first seven to to ten minutes. And you know that brings up the point that against UCLA, you have to have a lead or you need to be even on the scoreboard. If you're behind and Chip Kelly just has you at his mercy, he can get you off balance. You know, UCLA's balance really that's really the the big theme that keeps coming back uh, from everything that I see on the field and everything that commentators are saying. And it's true that with DTR and Charbonnet, Jake Bobo uh, as a, a lethal uh, downfield threat in the passing game, UCLA has options. UCLA has diversity. You cannot get behind. It's, it's like a tennis match. You need to hold serve on offense. The best way to beat UCLA is to score over 40. It's really kind of like how we thought, you know, you'd need to beat USC this year, score over 40. You're not stopping that offense. Uh, so Cam Rising, like this was a game in which he needed to hang 40. And let's let's keep in mind, Alex, Utah did hang 44 on UCLA last year in Salt Lake City. So that was the standard Cam Rising had already established for himself. Like it's not as though this is an artificially imposed standard from the outside by pundits such as you you and uh, and I uh, th- this was something that he established he put up that standard last year and he didn't come even close to matching that and so with Cam Rising just not 
delivering the goods. Well, that's why you have a diminished Utah team and a diminished Utah season uh, through six games. So, hey, Matt, speaking, go ahead. Speaking of balance and Cam Rising, I think something that we saw highlighting this game, I don't know whether it was just him seeing DTR across the field with so much success, but when Cam Rising can't make the throws and gets under pressure, we see him just re- rely on his legs too much, in my opinion. It cost him with that fumble uh, in the UCLA game, but it, it's a trend I've seen throughout this year that was really highlighted uh, against UCLA, and it's just his 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 reliance on his legs to just take off. One more point to make about Cam Rising. Now that you brought up that that point, is that you know there was a very clear cut comparison to make between Cam Rising. Uh, at Utah and Sam Darnold at USC. The comparison being that Darnold and Rising both came into their programs they, in terms of you know getting actual time on the field a few games into their first season. You know, Darnold came in uh, four, uh, four games into the 2016 season. Rising came in also in uh, mid to late September in his first season. They were both not the starting QBs on in week one of their first seasons at their respective programs. And they both made the Rose Bowl in those first seasons after coming in late September, they basically rescued the season. Darnold rescued Clay Helton in 2016. Cam Rising rescues Utah, leads the Utes to their first ever Pac-12 championship in 2021. So when Darnold came back for 2017, he lived up to the billing you know, as the guy. You know, everyone knew in the offseason in August, he was going to be the guy in week one of 2017. He leads USC to the Pac-12 championship. So rising was, expected, rising was expected to follow that same trajectory in 2022. So he did not meet that standard uh, that Sam Darnold has. I mean, and so, you know, like one more Utah loss and he will fail to win the Pac-12 title in that second season, the way Sam Darnold did at USC five years ago. All right, Alex, let's move along to USC and the win over Washington State. Uh, you know, another game with the USC defense allowing, you know, under 20 points. This is crazy. No one expected this. No one saw this coming. No one figured that Alex Grinch was going to pull a rabbit out of the hat the way he has done. You, 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 the rice is kind of a throwaway game like that that you don't really place yeah. too much value or well, emphasis it was, it was on that particular contest usc's usc's allowing under 20 points even if you throw out the rice game that's absolutely spectacular production from this defensive unit yeah i mean it's definitely oh well, okay to your first point the rice game any in on any other year season or circumstance that's a yeah it's a fairway game but this was the team's first look together so i thought that was important uh but yeah alex grinch i think has been known especially when usc hired lincoln and grinch was coming with him everyone was like well hold on i mean why i it was never really it was kind of always the blemish on the lincoln riley uh report um but now it's turned into one of the top highlights uh this team has been turnover hungry uh, the turnover ratio in large credit to Caleb Williams has been tremendous. Um, and more importantly, you're right. This is one of the teams where the offense is almost guaranteed 
to put up big points every game. So if the defense can keep you under 28, under under 21, it's almost a sure thing for a Trojan victory. Tuli Tui Pelotu, uh, you know, he's been steady and consistent, but this past weekend he was a beast. Three sacks, uh, pushing his season total up to seven. Um, I would have to think that, you know, I think Eric Gentry was really in the first three to four games, you know, through the Oregon State game. He was probably the MVP of this defense, but Tuli Tui Pelotu has certainly changed that conversation. Uh, do you have a clear front runner in terms of if you were to name a midseason defensive MVP for USC? Are you are you team Tuli? Are you team Gentry? Those were, I think it's a tie. How do you break that down? Those are my two guys. And, you know, I actually had a very interesting conversation uh, with a USC colleague of mine the other day involving this. And I said, you know, Gentry, looking at what he's done from a transfer position, outside of Caleb Williams, and then, you know, there's, there's an argument for Travis Dye. There's an argument for Jordan Addison. Uh, Aaron Gentry may be the most impactful transfer on this Trojan roster. Uh, he's completely dominating on the defensive side. He is a massive, lengthy individual. Just watching him on the field is, is awesome. Uh, but Tui Tui Pelotu, especially being a USC student and fan, uh, it's been a weird year when you look at your football team and you, you don't recognize, recognize practically anyone. But Tui Tui Pelotu has been the one guy from USC who stayed, who said, I can make a difference on this team. And man, he has shown Lincoln Riley that it was worth keeping him on. Uh, and just proud. Uh, love what he's doing. He's been steady throughout the first grade of the season. He's been impressive. And, and this week's showing was uh, the cherry on the milkshake. So, I don't think that's the expression. Absolutely. So, you know, in terms of uh, what USC did in the Washington State game, one of the big things was USC won without getting a takeaway. And that was a big question. What happens when an opponent doesn't commit a bunch of turnovers. What happens when the opponent doesn't throw four interceptions? So USC certainly checked that box. Um, what happens What happens when Jordan Addison doesn't catch a touchdown? Absolutely. absolutely. Also that question as well. You know, for, to do this, you, know, you need unsung heroes. And, uh, you, know, you, you know, Kalen Bullock was ejected for targeting. And I just, I loathe the targeting rule you know, with the fury of a thousand suns. And uh, I also, you know, you also have to take note of the fact that Shane Lee, the linebacker the transfer from Alabama, he was out for this game. So, you know, you have Anthony Beavers filling in for Kalen Bullock in the secondary, and you had other guys who had to step up. You know, the linebackers, you know, Gentry didn't make a ton of, of really big high-impact plays, but, like, he didn't give anything up. Like, you know, the, the, sometimes the contributions of a team are reflected in the absence of how much you're mentioned. Like, you know, you, you're not getting beaten on a deep ball. You're not getting beaten in pass coverage. You know, you're not making a, a failure that everybody in the stadium can notice. Sometimes the impact is simply when no one actually does call your name. It's because you're not making a mistake that everyone comments on. That was kind of what the USC linebackers did in this game. And then up front, you know, I mean, Tui Pelotu got the three sacks, but Solomon Bird made a number of impact plays. Tyrone Teleni made some impact plays. He's been stacking up tackles for losses this year. If you have an unsung hero on this USC defense, someone who doesn't get the headline 
uh, stories, someone who doesn't get the splashy publicity, but who's really knitting together this defense, kind of a worker bee glue guy type. Who's that guy for you, Alex? Uh, you know, it's funny. You were listing all these great names and all these great transfers. And the entire time I was thinking to myself, I hope he asked the opposite of the question he just asked me. Who is it that's quiet that should be making noise? Is what I was thinking the entire time you were listing all these names. Because you're right. I have, I have, I have a clear making. answer there. I do too. Does Corey he wear numbers Foreman, right? Right? Where is he, man? Is it yep. just me? Like, he didn't even play two weeks ago. Now we're seeing in limited use. And this was supposed to be the guy coming out the of high guy. school. And yeah, now you're right. We're going through this entire roster of team players who really are stepping up. It's that next man up mentality. And this is supposed to be the man for the next guy to replace. But where, where is he? Hopefully he's saving it up for the second half of the season. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I mean, and, and, you know, hey, everyone has a different I, growth I, curve. I can't, I can't explain it. I, I don't know what's going on with him. Well, you know, the, the number of stars next to your, uh, you know, 247 sports listing, like that, that does not guarantee your future. I mean, that is, sure just, that is just a projection and an assessment. Like these are not, this is not like money you can deposit into your bank account. You actually have to cash it in, right? You actually have to uh, earn, you know, that, that value. You have to provide it. So, so we will see what's ahead. For Corey Foreman. All right, for, for all of you listening here on Get Off My Pylon, we are going to take a brief ad break and then get back to you with uh, a little uh, midsection on the Mountain West before previewing the U.S.-Utah game uh, this upcoming weekend, October 15th. So the college football season underway, we're almost at the midpoint. Gee, time is flying by. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on, like Bet U.S., so BetUS has been a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, paying loyal customer base quickly and securely. You, you count on that, all right? You get that from BetUS. So we want you to go to BETUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have here at College Gridiron Coast to Coast. Get a 125% signup bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, get an additional $125 to play with. $200, you get $250 to play with, and so on. And NFL's in full swing. Got the NLDS and the ALDS starting up. Next week, the championship series on the road to the World Series. NHL regular season has started. It really kicks into gear. This week, got the NBA regular season starting in a little over a week. Uh, and then college basketball is a month away. So it's all kicking into high gear. You want Bet US along for the action. So you're a college football fan. And, you know, for the whole season, you want to be with BetUS.com. So remember the 125% match bonus for initial signups with the code COAST22. Bet US, you bet, you win, you get paid. All right, Alex. So Mountain West and it, it, this crazy, zany, wacky season and not really a very good one either. Just have to call it like it is continues in the Mountain West. And 
San Jose State UNLV, not the game that people were circling on their calendars uh, in the offseason. You know, we thought that San Diego State would be more at the center of the action in the Mountain West's West division. Uh, but the Aztecs, we can see it's just like root canal in terms of trying to get any points uh, on the board with any kind of consistency. San Diego State did beat Hawaii, but 16-14. And, and uh, Hawaii gave up 63 to Vanderbilt. San Diego State scored 47 fewer points than Vanderbilt did uh, against Hawaii. That, that Aztec offense is just in a really bad place. So because of that, San Jose State UNLV really became the early season West Division game of the year in the Mountain West. And it was one-way traffic for Brent Brennan and the, uh, and the Spartans. Uh, they, they just dump-trucked UNLV and made a really big statement in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean – this league, man, it's, it's <laughs> teams that are good seem bad, and then bad teams are also UNLV. You know, the loss to Cal, I think, was pretty expected. So, outside of that game, you're looking at, in my head, is a team that's won every winnable match. Uh, so, coming into San Jose State, I said, "Oh, this is this is okay, Mountain West. We've got an okay one," and it was just so dominant. I mean, San Jose State. Uh, running back, I, I don't even know his name, number two, uh, or, or the quarterback, sorry, number two, took off over 100 yards. Cordero. DTR out there. Cordero, yeah, uh, Siobhan. Transfer right? from Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, he's he's left a, uh, a garbage fire at the right time. Um, but he seems, he seems like he's fitting in great in the San Jose State offense. Uh, the receivers seem happy. He's he's got a go-to guy, and Dominic Mazzotti. Um, and and the defense really shut down this UNLV uh, this UNLV offense. They got nothing going in the air. They got nothing going on the ground. It, yeah, it was it was a comprehensive performance from San Jose State. The other really big game over in the Mountain Division of the Mountain West was Air Force. Utah State. Now, for those of you who don't follow the Mountain West too closely, let's provide a little reset here. Last year, Utah State won the Mountain West, beat San Diego State in the Commerce Championship game. And the key game for Utah State on the road to the Mountain West title, a 49-45 win over Air Force at the Academy in Colorado Springs. Air Force had a great defense last year, very consistent, very reliable under Troy Calhoun. But the one game that slipped through Air Force's defense, the outlier, the exception uh, to what was a very good season, was that game against Utah State. Allowed 49 points. Came out of nowhere. It was an aberration. Like Air Force did not continuously spring leaks on defense last year, but Utah State got them for 49. So this year, you think, okay, Air Force is going to lay down the law. It's not an amazing Air Force team, but Utah State had been bad in September. Uh, Utah Utah State struggled with UConn at home. That game was still a contest deep into the fourth quarter. Uh, Nolo Contendra, for, for those who know their Latin, that means no contest. You know, didn't put up any sort of fight against Alabama. You know, an Alabama team which barely beat Texas A&M at home. Is, you know, Alabama easily could have two losses. This is not the best of the best that Nick Saban has put on the field. Utah State just absolutely got... Uh, blitzed by Alabama, offered no resistance. Uh, the, and the Weber State, frankly. Yeah, the Aggies The Aggies were riding the struggle bus for several straight weeks, looked terrible, 
they beat Air Force again, back to back years. Air Force revenge. What? It didn't it didn't happen. So Air Force has already lost to Wyoming and Utah State. Uh, can anybody here play this game, Alex Blau? I mean, every everyone in the Mountain West, except for San Jose State, really seems to be tripping over a rake. Boise State beat Fresno State. But hey, you know, without Jake Hayner, it's not Fresno State. It's really Fresno Oops. State Junior Varsity. So, like, no one in the this, Mountain West except for San Jose State is really impressing at this point. This is also going back to the point I made earlier about who, who is actually good in this conference because I look at yeah. Utah State beating Air Force, who I thought was decent. And meanwhile, just two weeks ago, you had Utah State get killed to, to UNLV, who just got killed by San Jose State. So I'm, I'm – it's like – doing a, a, a little maze at a diner restaurant and then realizing that there's no exit and I'm just lost. I, I'm lost too. You know, then UNLV, you know, severely outplayed Utah State at Utah State in Logan. And that's where uh, Utah State was able to handle Air Force without too much of a problem. Uh, seven point game was the final 34-27, but Utah State was up 10 midway through the fourth and Air Force wasn't able to even get one more tack on touchdown uh, to really threaten Utah State uh, in the latter stages. So that that's the state of play uh, in the Mountain West Conference. All right, USC Utah preview on the other side of this break. Hey, college football fans, the season's cranked back up and, you know, hey, we're in not only in the heart of conference play, but really if you look at the various conferences across the country, we're seeing the cross division games right now, like Alabama and Tennessee. That's the, the really big one in week seven. So you're still getting some crossover games teams from opposite divisions. But as we get into late October and then into November, you're going to see more in division games. So you're going to have those neighborhood fights like in the Pac-12. You're going to see Washington play Oregon. You're going to see you know Oregon State uh, play, play Washington as well. Uh, you're, you're going to see teams playing close to home, like USC is going to play Cal uh, on November 5th. You're going to get those closer to home games as we get into late October and in November. So as a fan, like you want to you want to be there for those neighborhood games, those games from against teams from neighboring states just across the border. Short, short uh, little uh, plane flight or a short little bus ride away you know, where it's easy to get to games. So like those are the games that are accessible for you in terms of a commute. So you want to be at those games. And so why not get on the bus, not only to your favorite game, but to the Ticket Smarter mobile app and TicketSmarter.com. You know, Ticket Smarter is a partner with 100 universities as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of College Football Live, and hey, you, you know this, it's important to be able to purchase tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market. That's why you need to use the Ticket Smarter mobile app and go to ticketsmarter.com. And for our listeners here at College Gridiron Coast to Coast, we have a special offer. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with the promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22, 5% off of an order of 100 bucks or more. And that's not a one-time code. It's for use throughout the college football season. So check out the selections and pricing now. 
for those neighborhood fights just around the bend in your own backyard with Ticket Smarter and remember the code GRIDIRON22. Think smarter at Ticket Smarter. All right, Alex. So we now look ahead. Week 7, October 15th, Salt Lake City, primetime on Fox. It's the USC Trojans against the Utah Utes in Rice-Eccles Stadium, Salt Lake City. This is the big one. It's the one we circled in the offseason. Uh, we'll slice and dice this game from several different angles, but let's just get your, your main overview, your main thoughts heading into this showdown. My main thought is this isn't the big one anymore. The big one's coming out of, well, not the end of the season's Notre Dame. I thought that may be the big one. Big one is, is the week before. That's going to be UCLA-USC. I think it's the real big one now. But USC-Utah, I think uh, something that kind of raised the ears of a lot of USC fans, I don't think it's too concerning. I think a lot of USC fans were upon the inclination that if USC goes undefeated, uh, they're in the college football playoffs. And then this week, you know, after a few weeks of, despite what the scoreboard says, not convincing wins, um, USC slid down a spot to number seven. Uh, and I still think, look, yeah, if you go undefeated, if you beat a ranked 20 Utah team, if you beat uh, a highly ranked UCLA team, and if you win a, the Pac-12 championship, uh, especially with Tennessee playing Alabama at number six and number one, uh, I think, sure, your debt. USC still has a pretty good shot getting up there. But from USC, I need to see you take advantage of Utah giving up the big plays. I need to see you feed Travis Dye, who's just been eating Caleb Williams, who knows how to use his legs. This is a Utah team that cannot stop the run, no matter who's running it. So just run. Well, you know, the, the first rule of Fight Club for Matt Zemeck is you don't talk about the college football playoff until November. So, but Hey, uh -huh. like, like you can talk about the playoff. That is absolutely fine. I'm not going to talk about the Matt, college football Matt, playoff. Matt, if you're, if you're telling me that they can start talking about Christmas the day after Halloween, <laughs> I'm going to start talking about the college football playoffs the day October hits. It's a great point, but I also think we should normalize not talking about Christmas the day after Halloween either. Yeah, if you can't beat them, <laughs> at least them, wait you know until after I mean? Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, in terms of like the stakes involved here, let's let me ask you a question about pressure. Is there more pressure on USC because of the playoff stakes that you that you articulated, or is there more pressure on Utah? Now you can make you can you can go at this from either angle because like you can make the case that. You know, hey, Utah's season's already down the drain, two losses, you know, need a million things to happen in order to somehow make the Pac-12 title game, which is now unlikely at this point in time. You could say that Utah doesn't have pressure just because it's already fumbled the bag. It's already fumbled the ball uh, and that USC has the greater pressure. But you could also say, well, if Utah's going to salvage its season, season, it has to happen right now. Uh, and you and whereas USC you know, if USC loses this game, Trojans are still in the hunt. You know, it, it, losing two conference games is a problem, but losing one uh, and, you know, heading into uh, a series of games at Arizona on the 29th, then Cal on the 5th, Colorado on the 11th, like US, USC should mop up those three games pretty easily. So even if USC loses here, probably still going to have a 9-1 and one overall record and a 7-1 and one Pac-12 record heading into Pasadena for the big one against UCLA on November 19th. So you could say that USC doesn't have all that much pressure here. 
So which which side are you on? Is there more pressure on USC, more I, pressure on Utah? I think I think there's more pressure on USC. I think Tennessee jumping them a spot was a wake up call. Whereas Utah, I, I think you nailed it. It's like what what can they really get out of this season? Um, USC, I think, needs to start convincing its fans and uh, the country, the AP poll voters, everyone, that the beginning of the season wasn't a fluke. That's that's the standard. And so it, it brings up an interesting point that, and, and we're just talking hypothetically here, folks, like we're not making game predictions, but like if USC loses to Utah. Matt Zemeck, I will hold you to every syllable you say. <laughs> if it, Hypothetically, if USC loses to Utah, like should the national reaction be, well, this team was oversold. Well, this team, you know, truly had some flaws that we knew were there all along. And I'm and you know, my, like, I'll, I'll let you ask, answer that question, Alex, but just to give my view, but this team was supposed to lose four games in the eyes of most pundits. Most pundits said before the season, eight and four, nine and three at best, nine wins is the ceiling. This team's already exceeding that. So a loss to Utah doesn't, isn't a gotcha moment. A loss to Utah doesn't prove that this team was oversold. USC is going to, if at worst, USC is going to walk out of Salt Lake City heading into October 29th because there's no game on October 22. USC gets a much-needed week off. USC is going to have one loss heading into October 29th. That is ahead of expectations, even if USC loses in this game. So how do you think expectations are going to be I recalibrated mean, if USC loses this game? I understand that. It is and it isn't in the sense that this it is a big deal if USC loses because this is USC's first real competition. Um, looking at their schedule, it's it it hasn't it hasn't been anyone yet. It's been Rice, it's been Fresno State, it's been Stanford, it's been ASU, uh, WS. It hasn't been real teams. This is the first real team. Um, How do you define a real team? Let's let's let's, let's go with that. Now I'm not. That's not a okay. criticism. It's just let's set a standard here. Not a, a real team in the in the way that I see. If you are ranked number seven, you have to play teams uh, that you will potentially be see some resemblance of in the highest ranks of competition. Okay, you're not going to see good, anything. And that's a good you're definition. Not you're not going to see anything that Rice gives you that will resemble what Georgia gives you come January. No, that's that. No, that's a fair, well-stated um, definition. That if you're going to merit a top ten ranking, you need to beat a team like Utah on the road. Uh, absolutely, that, but that's at, good. At the same time, I think you made a good point. Where yes, it's a big deal if USC loses because this is their first big competition. But no, it's it's just means everyone's going to have to take a step back and say, "All right, uh, you know, they're maybe closer to what we thought they were coming into the season than what we started seeing at the beginning of the season," um, and. Frankly, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but it would it would hurt a lot to see a USC team walk out of Salt Lake with with a loss. All right, so so what what are the keys to victory for for both teams? I mean, we'll, we'll look at this from both teams' perspectives. Let's start with USC because, and the thing that worries me just from a USC perspective is the health of the offensive line. Portland Ford has not been playing. Uh, you know, they can really use him at left tackle. Uh, Bobby Haskins is likely to, to to start for this game, but you know he's been dinged up. Like he's been he's been playing hurt the past few weeks. Justin Dietrich got back into the lineup against Washington State. That was a big boost for the offensive line. The line is definitely better when Dietrich and the other starters 
are playing and are able to be reasonably effective. But you know, the left that left tackle spot that that remains a concern. Uh, and so, you know, because of that, you're not seeing the offense function as well as it did when everyone was healthy in the first two weekends. That's when USC was the high flying death machine. Uh, but with as soon as those starters on the offensive front got injured, and that's what we said throughout the offseason, that if the starters get injured, the offense is not going to function quite as well. That is certainly tracked with how USC has played recently. So how does Lincoln Riley game plan, Alex? How does he work around the limitations at left tackle? Uh, and, you know, do you try to, do you try to, you know, get the passing game uh, as, and use it as your lead weapon? You know, that's what he tried to do in the previous road night game at Oregon State. It didn't really work that well. A lot of USC fans wanted to come out with a run first, run heavy approach with Travis Dye. How do you think, Lincoln Riley should attack this game and the Utah defense. Well, when we're talking about strategizing and points of interest per team, the USC injured O-line, I actually think is a point of interest for Utah's game plan. I think Utah needs to take advantage of that if they want to swing this into a win for them. Because the way I see it is USC, uh, this, this, this defensive front from what we've seen so far is not going to be that much of a threat to the USC run game and what they're trying to establish. So if I'm Utah, that needs to be a point of emphasis. It needs to be taken advantage of that. If I'm USC, it needs to be business as usual. Let's start by, I think you're going to see USC run the ball heavy to start the game since they know that that is a weakness from Utah, and that will eventually open up the game for either Mario Williams across the field or the Jordan Addison deep shots. Um, if I'm USC, Travis dies, it's going to be a big game for him. He's, he's proven himself to be a reliable back. And that's just what we're going to need to see out of him against the news. All right. Uh, key question. I, one player I'm going to be watching for USC's offense in this game, Relique Brown, because sure. Travis Dye has been asked to carry a very large workload. And it's been very conspicuous that Austin Jones, the other Pac-12 transfer from Stanford, hasn't been getting a whole lot of runs. So they, they've really loaded up Travis Dye, and he's, he's the workhorse back between the tackles. Um, but Relique Brown, like he's the guy, you know, he not comparing him to Reggie Bush in terms of quality of player, but in terms of how you can deploy him, you know, I'm thinking getting him on a linebacker on a wheel route, something like that. You get him in, in the passing game downfield, you know, Jordan Addison, maybe running a, like a short slant and you get Relique Brown down the sidelines, you know, behind an Addison behind Mario Williams. And you use these crossing combinations to get Relief Brown in open space, uh, it, you know, which is something USC has not done a whole lot. Like Lincoln Riley needs something different, something that Utah hasn't seen on film. And I'm thinking Relief Brown, this could be like the game where he busts out or at least where Lincoln Riley tries to get him a lot more work, a lot more touches and opportunities. What do you think about that? You know, going back to our earlier conversation uh, involving Corey Foreman, you can't base everything off the star ratings coming out of high school. But I think Relief Brown was what Lincoln Riley saw as his Reggie Bush, something that he can get in his early years here in the era to establish tempo. As in the offense right now, it's a very unique position he plays. You definitely have Austin Jones and Travis Dye, who are those one-two backs. But Relief Brown, he'll come in on third back down a lot. You'll see him involved in the screen pass game. You'll see him involved in the sweep play. Uh, uh, outside zone runs, you'll see him in the passing game. 
Uh, and you're right. He's the speed on him is, is, is it's jaw dropping. He can, he, he has the ability and he has the moves to, to get past the linebacker and make big plays. And sure. I'd love to see him break out uh, against Utah. I think it's something that uh, Lincoln Riley hasn't used that much, whether or not it's because he's not ready or whether or not it's because uh, he's been saving it for Utah, but it's definitely getting number 14 is going to be a player to watch out for. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. So Cam Rising without Grant Keithy, his, his big tight end, he's not going to be available. And Utah needs to find those explosive pass plays uh, in, you know, in the passing game. And, uh, and, and so the Utes need to find a way to go over the top. And that's something that USC's defense has been good at shutting down. I mean, you're not seeing USC's secondary get beaten over the top uh, with the long ball. Cam Rising needs to figure out a way to get some splash plays. You know, how, how do you think Utah goes about uh, cracking the code on the USC defense and scoring over 30 points, which no team has done yet against Alex Grinch's unit? You know, it's, it's real funny. I, uh, I, every point you're bringing up is, is some highlights I have as a point of focus for the opposite team. Uh, so I think when we look at Florida, Cam Rising and his, you know, as I mentioned earlier, once he gets uncomfortable, he tends to rely on his legs a little more. Uh, in Florida, you saw him turn the ball over. He doesn't do it often. When he does, it takes a toll on him. This is a USC offense that creates turnovers in the pass game feeds off it uh and i i would love to see them come at least with it come away with at least one cam rising takeaway and i think your dog wants to see it as well because i could hear him the entire time you're asking that question saying no 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 it's going to be interception time not big play touchdown time the dogs are definitely going to be barking in salt lake city if cam rising throws uh, an interception what do you think utah's approach needs to be in terms of you know, pass to set up the run, run to set up the pass. I mean, you did say that Lincoln Ryan needs to run to set up the pass. Do you think Utah needs to play that the same way? Or do you think that, you know, because Utah, uh, USC knows that, you know, run defense is where it really needs to shore things up, that if you're Utah, oh, we're going to actually pass the ball first, and then we're going to hit you underneath with the running game, you know, second quarter, second half, but we're going to start by passing the ball in the first quarter. Well, you know, I, I think definitely the running game is something you can open up because we also talked about the missing Alabama transfer, Shane Lee, who didn't play last week. Uh, I don't have an update on his status. I haven't heard an update as to whether he'll be playing against uh, Utah. But if he's not, we talked about Eric Gentry and all those guys stepping up. This could definitely be a, a, a point of attack, though. You know, expose that middle of the field, that second layer, whether it's, whether it's short slants, whether it's just across the middle of that. Uh, drags or just hit that gap uh with zone runs all right alex can't wait for this night fight and uh it's uh, 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific on fox uh you know and uh it's it's it, we were expecting in the off season for chris fowler and kirk herbstreet to call a usc game under lincoln riley it, we might not have that happen until the ucla game uh on the 19th and uh, you know we're going to see this USC Utah game, and then a week later UCLA Oregon, which we're going to talk about next week on Get Off My Pylon. Like those two games, they're going to decide, or at least they're going to shape just how big that USC UCLA game is on November nineteenth. Alex, uh, looking forward to this game, 
And uh, we remind you that uh, Get Off My Pylon, we're part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network. Al, I know Alex is going to listen to Pigskin and Burnt Ends with Patrick Always Netherton. Do. That's his favorite Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast other than Get Off My Pylon. But there's Yards and Stripes, Florida Football Insiders, Big Ten Paradigm, Big 12 Breakdown. Uh, we got the whole family of podcasts. Go to Red Circle, go to Apple, go to Google, go to Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Share share these shows, spread the word about the College Great Iron Coast to Coast College Football Podcast Network. So this is Matt Zemek for co-host Alex Blau. Got the USC Utah review and the Oregon UCLA preview next week here on Get Off My Pilot.